This is the In Focus podcast from the Hindu. Hello and welcome to the Hindus In Focus podcast with me Amit Barua your host for this episode. On the 22nd of April Pakistan announced that its foreign minister Bilawal Bhutto Zardari will visit India for a multilateral meeting with its Shanghai Cooperation Organization counterparts. The visit by a Pakistani foreign minister to India comes after a long gap. Also on the 22nd of April, five Indian soldiers were killed close to the line of control, pointing out yet again the dangers of unabated terrorism in the country. The abrogation of Article 370 and reducing Jammu and Kashmir to union territory has not helped in ending terrorism, belying the tall claims of the government. At the same time, Islamist forces and hardline Hindu groups have ensured that dialogue and contact between Pakistan and India is almost non-existent. Can a Bilawal Bhutto visit change anything on the ground? Let's find out from Ramnathan Kumar, who retired as Special Secretary from India's External Intelligence Agency, the Research and Analysis Wing, and has spent long years working on counterterrorism and Pakistan-related issues. Welcome to the In Focus podcast, Mr. Kumar. Thank you very much, Mr. Barua. It's a great pleasure to be with the Hindus podcast and to be able to speak to you and through you to your listeners. Mr. Kumar, uh, what do you make of the Pakistani announcement that uh, Bilawal Bhutto Zardari, the foreign minister of Pakistan, will be coming to Goa in the month of May for a multilateral Shanghai Cooperation Organization meeting? well because precisely because it is a multilateral event and nothing more i wouldn't make too much of it the invitation as you would recall had uh, gone out uh, to pakistan uh, quite some time ago they took their uh, time to respond to it but considering the fact that it is a shanghai cooperation organization foreign ministers meeting it was on the cards that eventually um uh, Uh, they would say yes and uh, that is what has happened so one shouldn't read too much into uh, the foreign minister of pakistan coming purely for a multilateral event uh, however uh, previous meetings of the seo pakistan has been joining uh, by uh, video conference yes of course uh, but that was if you recall during the time of uh, the pandemic really and now uh, uh, the Uh, virtual meetings have given way to uh, physical uh, contacts i think the point really is the this expectation uh, that on the margins of a of a multilateral event there would be some kind of a bilateral contact as well and in the context of uh, you know the uh, of indo pakistan relations uh, such uh, events always give rise to a great deal of expectation uh, perhaps uh, unwarranted more than anything else and this time also i think the real issue was that uh, uh, you know there was uh, speculation had started that if the foreign minister comes and attends a multilateral meeting uh, then on the sidelines perhaps there could be some scope for uh, you know the for 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 some kind of uh, howsoever faint a thaw in indo pakistan relations 
to my mind, all that is uh, uh, has been quite uh, speculative, uh, considering uh, more than anything else, the state of affairs really in Pakistan, where there is a great deal of anarchy and confusion right now, the uh, longevity of the government that uh, uh, Bilawal Bhutto Zardari represents itself is in considerable doubt. Uh, and also some of the uh, undiplomatic utterances of the Pakistani foreign minister in the past, the overall state of Indo-Pakistan relations. In any case, I don't think there was much scope for any, uh, for any breakthrough on the bilateral front. And if at all there was even some residual or minimal scope, I suspect that uh, the latest uh, terrorist attack in Punj has uh, more or less put pay to that. Before I come to the terrorist attack in Punj, uh, Mr. Kumar, I just want to quickly ask you, uh, you must have seen the comments made during a discussion between this well-known Pakistani anchor, Hamid Mir, and uh, Naseem Zehra, who is an analyst and a commentator in Pakistan, about some kind of deal that uh, General Kamar Javed Bajwa, the uh, previous army chief, had apparently made with India. Kashmir, I can only pray for Kashmir, that General Kamar Javed Bajwa, who has been working on the details of Kashmir, has not come in front of उन्होंने इंडिया के साथ लाइन ऑफ कंट्रोल सीज फायर किया था उस सीज फायर के फौरन बाद मोदी ने पाकिस्तान का दौरा करना था एंड ही इज आल्सो हामिद मीर इज यू नो दिस बीन ट्रेंडिंग ऑन ट्विटर द वीडियो एंड हामिद मीर इज आल्सो सेइंग दैट यू नो जनरल बाजवा इन अ मीटिंग विद 25 जर्नलिस्ट सेड दैट यू नो आवर टैंक्स आर ऑब्सोलेट एंड यू नो देयर नो डीजल टू रन देम and uh, Naseem Zera went as far as to say, and these are two people who, as you know, uh, are quite close to the establishment. She went as far as to say that General Bajwa should be court-martialed. So this is, in my view, quite unprecedented for, uh, you know, Pakistani journalists to be saying this uh, on air. What do you make of all these comments? Well, I think uh, this has a, a, a rather long and complicated background. Let me try and sort of uh, simplify it and shorten it to the extent possible, although uh, what I am about to say uh, is really all based on what uh, has appeared in the Pakistani media, because nobody on our side has talked. So whatever sense one can make of all these developments comes entirely from what has been appearing in the Pakistani media, in the social media, and of course, what has been uh, picked up and reported by the media on our side. Now, uh, we all know that after his retirement, uh, General Bajwa has uh, uh, been very, very voluble, uh, and uh, he has given uh, one interview after another to a number of uh, Pakistani journalists. And uh, at times he has denied uh, that he ever gave those uh, interviews. But he's, uh, he's clearly spoken to a lot of them, almost carrying on from uh, where he did, uh, where he was when he was actually the incumbent chief. Even at that point of time, he had given uh, uh, several briefings uh, to the Pakistani media, which were also quite unprecedented at that point of time, including a meeting to 25 journalists 
uh, or a large group of journalists, as you mentioned just now. Uh, now, what he said a number of things uh, in these interviews, both relating to the domestic uh, situation in Pakistan, the Pakistan army's uh, meddling, so to speak, uh, intervention in internal politics. Uh, again, also Pakistan, the army's, uh, you know, various initiatives it had taken in, in the field of diplomacy, external relations, etc., etc. Now, none of this should really surprise anybody, uh, knowing the, uh, the dominant role that the Pakistan army has in most of these matters. Uh, but uh, what is a revelation, really, is the graphic details that uh, General Bajwa uh, has given. Uh, now, uh, about the uh, specific issues that you mentioned, the back channel, etc., uh, uh, quite clear, he has, uh, you know, Hamid Mir had actually written about what he has discussed with Nasim Zehra yesterday or day before. He had written about it, if you recall, in an article in, in the Jung newspaper of Pakistan uh, earlier this year. And what he had written was that General Bajwa, in an interview, had told him that there were these back-channel talks uh, with, the Indian, uh, with the Indian side. Uh, the former DGISI, uh, Lieutenant General Faiz Hamid was there, the Indian National Security Advisor was there, and these talks had taken place uh, in, in, in Dubai and uh, third countries. And uh, in this process, among the uh, things that were discussed uh, was a possible freeze on the Kashmir issue uh, for 20 years. Uh, this was, of course, uh, this made big headlines when it first came out. The other disclosure that uh, Hamid Mir made on the basis of what General Bajwa reportedly told him was that sometime in April 2021, uh, Prime Minister Narendra Modi was to have visited Pakistan, uh, visited the Ingraj Mata Temple, uh, in Las Bela in Balochistan, and a separate and a special corridor would be open for that purpose, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. This would, if you recall, would have been just after the February 2021 uh, uh, ceasefire along the LOC uh, between uh, uh, sort of between India and Pakistan uh, was reiterated. So clearly, General Bajwa has said a lot to Hamid Mir and indeed various other journalists as to how, uh, you know, uh, the Pakistan army first supported Imran Khan and then withdrew their support to Imran Khan, etc. And all this really relates to the so-called uh, Bajwa doctrine. It wasn't really a doctrine, but it was, uh, you know, General Bajwa's views uh, as expressed about uh, the, you know, uh, 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 geopolitical uh, developments, Pakistan's place in them, about Pakistan's need to become a quote-unquote normal country, to tackle terrorism within its borders, have a more normal relationship with India, uh, reduce Pakistan's excessive dependence on China, have a, a, a more balanced relationship with the United States, etc., 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 during the time that Imran Khan was prime minister. 
Now, uh, the thing about all this really, uh, Mr. Barua, is that as long in Pakistan, it often happens that as long as a chief is in the saddle, he becomes the font of all wisdom. But the moment he steps down, then these views are disowned and, uh, you know, by, uh, by his own institution. And a backlash really starts. And that really seems what to be happening. Saying, I mean, do you think that uh, the current army leadership in Pakistan has decided to throw Bajwa and Chishti under the bus? That would be my reading. I, there is a precedent for this, if you recall. Uh, Musharraf and the four-point formula, the back-channel talks that were in progress, which Ambassador uh, Sati Lamba has written about uh, in his uh, latest book. Uh, the Musharraf, uh, Manmohan Singh, four-point formula, etc. It had come pretty cl close to fruition uh, when Musharraf was uh, uh, overthrown after the lawyers' movement, etc. in 2007, 2008. And as soon as General Kayani came in and became the chief, uh, you know, the Pakistan army denied all knowledge of any such uh, discussions or back-channel talks that uh, President General Musharraf might have had during his tenure. I see a similar kind of situation now unfolding vis-a-vis -vis General Bajwa. Uh, the political situation in Pakistan, of course, is far more toxic. Uh, the, the relationship between Imran Khan and, uh, and uh, uh, General Bajwa, uh, and the, or, or rather Imran Khan and the army is toxic. The relationship between the government and the opposition is toxic. The relationship between the government and the parliament on one hand and the judiciary, the higher judiciary on the other hand, are, are, are at an all-time low. So it is, of course, a far more fractious environment. And, uh, uh, you know, uh, General Bajwa has not really, I think, uh, played his uh, cards uh, very smartly by disclosing all these things. In fact, uh, I remember... Uh, Dawn once wrote an article uh, about the so-called Bajwa doctrine that well-intentioned does not mean having the real expertise or the right kind of expertise. Now, General Bajwa might have uh, been well-intentioned, but uh, clearly he seems to have bitten off more than he could chew. Uh, he has not been; he was not able to deliver on most of his assurances and commitments when he was in power. And now there is a very, very strong backlash uh, from the PTI uh, and from various other quarters, including, uh, as you correctly pointed out, I suspect his own institution, the Pakistan Army. It, is, uh, it does appear from the comments of, say, journalists like Hamid Mir and Naseem Zehra, who are known to be close to the establishment, that, there are, that the establishment is distancing itself from uh, the Bajwa doctrine and all the views that General Bajwa espoused and has been espousing. Mr. Kumar, I just wanted to ask you about uh, Pakistan's internal situation. You referred to the anarchy, to the chaos. You, we also see perhaps for the first time that the army itself as an institution is weakened. I mean, say 15, 20 years ago, you know, Musharraf thought nothing of taking power when, you know, confronted with a with a, a prime minister who, you know, was quite stubborn in his approach. That's Nawaz Sharif. 
But today with the economic crisis, the political crisis, uh, the battle within the Supreme Court, the battle between the Supreme Court and Parliament, which we've seen previously also, it's not for the first time that Pakistan is witnessing this battle. It happened during Nawaz Sharif's time as well. So the point I'm, I'm, I'm trying to sort of dwell on a little bit here is that, is it that we are seeing in a sense the unraveling of the Pakistan army because the kind of abuse that Imran Khan especially has hurled against the army or even his minions is a first for Pakistan. And in a sense, the Pakistan army is floundering a little bit. I would on the whole agree with you. And I would say that uh, if you look at it over a long term, I think we are witnessing possibly the diminishing ability of the Pakistan army to control the situation or set the narrative in Pakistan. This has happened over a long period of time. Uh, many of the uh, policies that the army sort of uh, dictated uh, have, have failed spectacularly. And uh, I think the the Pakistani civil society, the public at large, are now slowly beginning to, to, to understand that the, it is the army and the short-sighted policies that it has followed uh, right from the time of Pakistan's creation that are responsible for the present mess that the, that the country finds itself in. Uh, so whether it be uh, you know, externally sponsored jihad or internal political engineering, which are both really, uh, you know, uh, two sides of the same coin. I think all, uh, all these uh, policies have been tried and tried again, and uh, they have been uh, uh, found uh, wanting. Uh, so I think uh, the Pakistan army now suffers from a serious credibility crisis, both within the country and abroad. They, are, they may still be the dominating force, but the degree of dominance certainly is, is, is I think, diminishing or waning. Mr. Kumar, I'd now like to come to the terrorist, terror strike, uh, you know, uh, along the line of, close to the line of control. Uh, you know, we saw in August 2019, uh, you know, a, 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 an absolute change in the status of Jammu and Kashmir, the removal of Article 370, which was a political promise and a, a political basis to the BJP's uh, entire approach to Kashmir for a long time. And then we saw also uh, the reduction of the state of Jammu and Kashmir to that of a union territory. And since uh, 2019, we are seeing that uh, there is no elected government. Uh, we hear noises about elections, uh, but we haven't seen anything concrete so far. And we also see that terror strikes continue. And the promise that was made to the country was very simple, that, look, this is a new approach. This is a great departure from whatever has happened, including uh, from what Prime Minister Atal Bihari Vajpayee did. This is a big departure. And now we believe that we have a handle on the situation. Do you actually think that this overall approach has worked in our favor? Uh, before I answer that question, may I just uh, add one more point uh, to what I was saying with of regard course. to your previous question about the, uh, the waning ability 
of the Pakistan army to set the narrative or uh, control the situation in Pakistan. I think the other important point really is the dire strait of the Pakistani economy. Uh, uh, and that really is something which is beyond the capability of the army to fix. Uh, this is really the domain of economists and, and uh, the civilian government. So the nature of the problems confronting Pakistan have also changed and become far more complex over the years. And that is what has made the Pakistani army's job all that more difficult uh, as far as uh, controlling uh, the narrative or the situation within Pakistan is concerned. So I thought I would just add Absolutely. that to my yeah. previous yeah. comments. Now coming to the issue of, of uh, uh, terrorism in, in, in Jammu and Kashmir, uh, the reading down of Article 370, etc. So as far as uh, terrorism and insurgency in Jammu and Kashmir is concerned, now, frankly, there is no silver bullet, I would say, uh, Mr. Barua, as far as tackling terrorism and insurgency uh, is are concerned. Uh, you know, it is not as if you uh, enact some legislation or you do away with some provision of the Constitution uh, and uh, hey, presto, uh, a problem that you have uh, will suddenly vanish. It is going to take a lot of time and it will be a slow and gradual process with many ups and downs. Uh, that is the first point that I would like to make. In fact, uh, uh, one of our illustrious uh, intelligence officers, Mr. Raman, Mr. B. Raman, who many of your uh, listeners may be aware of him, he had written at some point of time in the context of uh, the victory against terrorism, that the concept of victory as understood in a conventional war against another state does not apply to the unconventional war against terrorists. There is no definite point in which you can declare victory against terrorism. And terrorists and terrorist organizations have to be made to wither away over a long period of time. So I dare say that one can one has to expect as much in the case of, of, of Jammu and Kashmir, where this has been uh, a problem that has uh, bedeviled us for uh, a long time. Now, the government claims or says, and rightly so, that uh, violence levels in Kashmir are now at uh, an all-time low. I have, uh, you know, uh, with me even as we speak, uh, statistics uh, compiled by the South Asia Terrorism Portal, uh, which are uh, very reliable. And uh, I'm just looking at the statistics of 2022, for instance, the last uh, full year for which we have these figures. Uh, this is uh, uh, these figures related to, relate to the uh, violence in, in Jammu and Kashmir. Now, according to the SATP's figures, in 2022, the number of terrorist incidents was 151. In these 151 incidents, the number of civilians killed was 30. The number of security forces killed was also, coincidentally, 30. And the number of terrorists liquidated 
was 193. Now, these figures are more or less the lowest that have been uh, recorded in, in, in uh, Jammu and Kashmir for a long time. But if you look at these figures carefully, uh, let's take another year, for instance, before, you know, the changes of August 5, 2019 that you referred. And I'm, uh, I, I'm just, I'm looking at the figures for, say, the year 2012. In the year 2012, as per the SATP, the number of total number of terrorist incidents in Jammu and Kashmir was 70, 70, as against 151 in 2022. The number of civilians killed was 1919, as against 30 in 2022, as I said. The number of security forces killed in 2012, 18-18, as against 30 in 2022. The number of terrorists killed was 84 then, as against 193 now. Now, these are pretty revealing statistics, and I can, you know, uh, expand on them also, but I suspect you may not have that much time available. But... Going by these statistics, one can say that the year 2012 was uh, as uh, peaceful a year or saw as little violence, perhaps even less violence than we are seeing in 2022. The point that I'm trying to make is that you have to look at these things over a long period of time. There have been ups and downs. There will be ups and downs. And, uh, you know, these battles... Uh, are really uh, essays in continuity, if I may say so, rather than discontinuity. You have to persist over a long period of time to succeed. Uh, the other thing, of course, uh, you know, uh, uh, we talk, We were since we were talking of, uh, you know, uh, the number of uh, terrorists uh, killed, for instance, in Jammu and Kashmir in 2022 and say in 2012. Out of the 193, uh, you know, uh, terrorists uh, who have been uh, killed as per the SATP uh, in 2022, there were 56 Pakistani nationals and 100 odd local youth. And that is the point that, uh, you know, I think needs to be flagged for the past five years or so, say from 2017 to 2022. Uh, the number of uh, local youth joining the ranks of the terrorists have stayed in the low three figures, 100 and above. Now, I'm quoting statistics released by the JNK police now, which have been reported in the Indian media. The figures of these uh, Indian, of these local youth joining uh, the ranks of terrorist organizations is as per the JNK police. But it has stood in, uh, you know, the low three figures, hundred and above. Uh, so uh, there is also now, uh, there are new issues, the problem of hybrid militancy of youth, you know, not uh, vanishing from their homes and going somewhere for a long period of time, crossing the border for training, but, uh, you know, just picking up uh, a pistol or a weapon that is dropped somewhere by drone or whatever, uh, you know, means are now being used carrying out an assassination and then coming back and resuming his normal life. 
he's not figured in the uh, police records anywhere and he's he's a clean skin so the problem of hybrid militancy has cropped up i want to just briefly ask you one specific point this killing that happened uh, where you know unfortunately five indian soldiers were killed what do you make of the capability of these terrorists do you think that this was linked to the announcement of bilawal bhutto or was it you know an event that is unconnected but what does it show us about the capability of these terrorists i think what it shows about the capability of these terrorists the terrorists who carried out um, uh, this latest ambush certainly have uh, a lot of uh, they have been well trained they are well trained and well armed well motivated and this could only have taken place across the border in pakistan so it clearly shows that somewhere the terrorist training camps in pakistan continue to churn out terrorists it is possibly happening happening uh, not in 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 a brazen manner as before and uh, that some level of infiltration is taking place it also shows that the terrorists who are coming up from across the border do have the sympathy of certain pockets of the local population and that is why they are able to carry out these uh, activities and then uh, vanish without being caught and surfacing again and uh, carrying out uh, further terrorist strikes uh, now my understanding based again on what is appearing in the pakistani media and in the social media is that uh, uh, the jamaat ud dawa or the lashkar and its front organizations it's uh, the the lashkar now or the jamaat ud dawa now calls itself the pakistan markazi muslim league it has changed its name many a time but now it calls itself pakistani pakistan markazi muslim league or the jaish uh, uh, the operatives of these organizations including molana masood azhar still have a presence uh, on the social media uh, and they have been continuing to uh, you know post messages uh, glorifying jihad and ex- and exhort their uh, followers uh, to take up arms so what i'm trying to say is that the machinery or the infrastructure of terrorism as we used to call it in pakistan is certainly far from being dismantled completely the other point you know uh, when you were talking about uh, uh, article 370 and terrorism uh, and insurgency in uh, in uh, jammu and kashmir i am reminded uh, you know frankly of uh, a book written by the former governor of jammu and kashmir mr b k nehru uh, one of uh, our ablest uh, civil servants and officer of the indian civil service as you might recall he was the governor of uh, jammu and kashmir at a critical time when sheikh abdullah passed away and in january 1984 when mr nehru was under pressure from prime minister indira gandhi to dismiss the first government of farooq abdullah who had become the chief minister after the death of sheikh abdullah uh, he had prepared a note for her sometime in early 1984 outlining his reservations about the course of action proposed by her and ms nehru has reproduced this note in his wonderful autobiography nice guys finish second the note contained uh, 13 points in all uh, if i remember correctly of which 
point number nine was the most significant. And it read something as follows. I quote now, the slow process of the integration of the Kashmiri Muslims with India will be reversed. The secessionist forces will gain in strength and suppressing them with force is no answer, unquote. Now, in today's context, I would paraphrase these words of Mr. Nehru slightly and, slay, and say that the slow process of the integration of the Kashmiri Muslims with India has to be resumed by restoring the democratic process. The secessionists and the terrorists are on the back foot, but suppressing them by force indefinitely is not a sustainable solution. Mr. Kumar, we'll have to leave it here for today. Thank you so much for talking to the Hindus in Focus podcast. And I do hope we'll be able to return to you for more of your opinion and more of your analysis. Entirely my pleasure. Thank you very much. In Focus will be back soon with analysis of the biggest news issues. In the meantime, you can find our podcast on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and other platforms. Just search for In Focus by the Hindu. We'll see you soon.